Yes, it's that time again. It's another episode of the Made in China podcast. This is Rico speaking from SourceFind Asia. And today's episode, we interviewed one of my best friends. His name is Ryan Mulvihill. His book is Startup Idea Action Plan. It's actually an Amazon bestseller at the moment. He just released the book two weeks ago. It's currently outselling Elon Musk's biography. It's outselling uh, The Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod. And it's also outselling The Lean Startup by Eric Ries. Ironically, The Lean Startup was actually the inspiration, was one of the inspirations behind Ryan's book. So in his book, obviously we talked about his book in this episode, but the main thing is we talked about how you can find an idea for a product, uh, maybe a B2B product, how you can source that idea um, before spending a ton of money validating that idea validating that product so finding a leads list contacting the appropriate people what to say to them how to contact them email phone calls and then getting to a stage where you're either confident that you can move forward with ordering inventory or moving on to the next idea so just a very quick easy actionable process in terms of validating a product idea so um without further ado enjoy the episode i don't want to be a product of my environment I want my environment to be a product of me. You know, you wrote a book, you just released a book called Startup Idea Action Plan. And I think for this podcast, you know, everyone, a lot of the, the listeners are young entrepreneurs or just starting out in their journey. And some people might want to sell B2B products. So if you could just start off with a little bit of your history in terms of uh, sales and, and why, what your experience is in that realm. Yeah, of course. So I'll just give you a little history on how this book kind of came to be. It's sort of Frankenstein culmination of scenarios that led to me creating this book. Uh, it started about two years ago when I was in an entrepreneurship program called The Foundation. So they have this process that they teach you for this thing called idea extraction, where you're basically calling into a couple markets that have uh, these certain indicators of like high profitability, basically people who would pay a lot for each customer. So people like dentists or plastic surgeons or um, chiropractors, people in that sort of niche, usually it's health-based. And what you're doing is actually calling into the market and trying to find the pains that that market has in order to develop a software solution around it. So I actually have a lot of experience with phone sales as I used to run a window cleaning franchise for a couple of years. So I'm just totally comfortable on the phone. So it doesn't even bother me. Before, yeah. before you get into that, like, how did you, how did you find the foundation and why did you, what was your reason for joining it? I actually found it on Pat Flynn's podcast. He did an interview with Dane Maxwell, and the process just seemed so simple. Like, what really inspired me to get into the foundation was that they they really gave like a, a simple, flexible process for starting a business. Uh, they were they directed their program around software businesses, but I could see how there was a lot to learn about starting any business. Uh, if I learned how to call into a market and research an idea, that would just be a really powerful skill for me to learn. Cool. And even, uh, even before that, though, Ryan, um, you know, obviously you were kind of hunting for that that pet podcast prior to that. What, what was your motivation for getting into this? Yeah, uh, I think honestly, I was feeling a little bit lost. Uh, I was still early in my entrepreneurial path and I hadn't really created a venture myself. I worked for a franchise company, but I didn't really have anything to, to hold up to my name where I could say, this is a business I created. And I was looking for some sort of path to do that. And I just, uh, of course, Pat Flynn, he runs a smart passive income podcast and he interviews a lot of successful entrepreneurs and just something about, having like a, a simple process for a serial entrepreneur to follow to get a business started really got me excited. Uh, Dane Maxwell is also a fantastic copywriter, so he really sold me on that program. But basically, I was feeling lost and I was looking for, looking for some sort of path to create my first business. And the foundation just seemed like a beacon out in the distance that called out to me. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point because I think 
um, something that I talk about with you and with our friendship circle is just I'm not necessarily um, obsessed with finding a specific product or like let's say a service that I'm passionate about. I'm I'm more interested in the business process. And I think if you're interested in the business process, you, process, you can basically run any type of business. And it sounds like the foundation is something that can help people with learning about that. Exactly. It's a very flexible process. They base all of their teachings around starting a software company. But I, I could see how this could be applied to almost any industry. It's really, their content is a spin on the lean startup process where you're basically testing out an idea before launching it. Just they really give a very systemized way of doing that. So, yeah, like I, I love things where it's like, where the process is so simple, anyone can follow it. And if you just follow the steps, then you're going to start to get some results. Maybe you won't necessarily find a need in the market that you're researching right there, but you'll learn a process that will benefit you for whatever other businesses you're going to start. And that's how it really helped out me, actually. Okay, so you you did the foundation, and then you mentioned that you started a window cleaning business? Yeah, that, that happened a little bit after. But it was actually during the foundation that I started to create the content for the book. Uh, the thing is, there was like a Toronto chapter or Ontario chapter of the foundation, so people in my hometown. And I got to meet up with a lot of the other people who were also in the program for that. Uh, I think they do it on a bi-yearly basis, so twice a year. I, I met up with a lot of the people, and through the foundation process, you're getting together a list of possible customers and then calling into that market to research your idea. And I found most of these people were just terrified of calling. Like, there was this one guy who would actually take a couple shots of vodka before even picking up the phone because he was just <laughs> so scared to do it. So, <laughs> Was he and, Russian? And no, I'm joking. That he wouldn't have been Yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, I'll ask him his nationality next time I get in touch with him. <laughs> but I used to run a window cleaning franchise for uh, a bigger company. So it wasn't my own business. It was a franchise of it. And through that, I did lots of uh, calling customers. So I have called many a crazy cat lady. In the past, like I have called people who had very bad window cleaning jobs in the past and just screamed at me on the phone. And so when it came to cold calling these people who were, you know, in more respectable positions, so to speak, uh, people who were almost guaranteed not to be crazy cat ladies, I, I was like, oh yeah, this is easy. Like these people aren't going to be, aren't going to yell at me because somebody missed a window last time they cleaned their house. That's no problem. So I was totally comfortable when it came to calling into my market, but I found a lot of other people in the program just got stuck on not even, they couldn't even pick up the the phone. They were so scared of talking to people. And yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I guess this will kind of turn into a question, but I don't know if Mike knows this, but I used to work in a call center at some stage. <laughs> and uh, I remember... <laughs> I remember it was just days where, you know, you'd have a day where you call like a hundred people and, you know, everyone is fine. And then you get just one or two people who just like berate you or <laughs> just hang up and make They're you not feel having like, it. This is not having it. And I just, sometimes I'll just be like, I can't, I can't do this. Like <laughs> I'll be staring, I'll be staring at the, the, the headset. Like, what am I doing with my life? And then I'll get, <laughs> and then I'll get a phone call. They got, from, they got inside your head. Man. They got inside my my head. And then I'll get a phone call from the the, the sales manager, being like, "Hey, Rico, man, is everything all right there? Like, uh, it's been about five minutes since you made your last call." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's brutal. Yeah, I needless to say, I did not stay in that job for very long. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, I, I can definitely empathize with you on that. With the franchise company, it's not that there's a salesperson standing over your shoulder telling you to make sales. It's more like if you don't sell, you're not going to make any money. And if anything, you're going to lose money during like a summer window cleaning season. So you're like, oh my God, I know there's going to be a, a percentage of people who are just really going to be angry to talk to me, but I still have to just call through all these people. So it's like, it really helps you develop a thick skin. And that's what happened to me. So... 
Oh, and also in that job, I was going door to door and basically doing door to door sales. And that's even more difficult than doing phone calls because you actually have to look people in the eye and be chased by their dogs. So it really <laughs> helped me develop a thick skin when approaching random people and uh, selling to them, basically. So like I said, your your book was is, is more to do with B2B sales. So how did that come about? You're doing, it sounds like you were doing more B2C before. It's a, it's a hell of a lot easier to contact B2B people uh, if you have a limited budget than it is B2C. Uh, with B2C, then you have to, you can't really get specific contact information for people. Uh, it's actually, there's a, lot, there's a couple laws against it, just like scraping together a list of uh, homeowners' phone numbers and calling through them. And also, it's nearly impossible to specifically target people. So, for example, if you were trying to launch some sort of uh, stroller, you had some sort of like cool stroller idea, you wouldn't really be able to find all the moms within a certain neighborhood uh, and scrape together a phone list of them. So basically uh, doing B2C sales is difficult for this process. There are, other, there are ways to go around it, and I'll, I'll get into that in a bit. But basically, when you're testing out business ideas, especially for first-time entrepreneurs, B2C is one of the more difficult ways to go about it. Yeah, that's, that makes sense. So I guess one of the things we wanted to do on this podcast is do like a sort of a, a, a thought exercise where we maybe think about if I'm, if I'm an entrepreneur and I want to come up with a, a product and do B2B. So maybe Mike and I, we've talked about another podcast and we've written articles, but um, maybe we could talk about ways people could go about finding products and getting ideas. Yeah, I think that would be good if you guys could talk a little bit about uh, actually finding some possible products, and then I'll go into how you can actually test out some business ideas and prove that people actually want to buy these products. Yeah, I think we've, like you just said, Rico, we've talked about this before. Um, I think definitely you have to have some sort of idea, some sort of uh, direction prior to locating the product that you want but of course those common tools that most of us know about uh, made in china or uh, alibaba those are great ways to search for products but i think identifying a, a a need or identifying a product that might be interesting you know noticing other brands that are doing something that you like and using that as a as a lead to start searching for those products is is a great uh, a great idea Mm -hmm. And if you have a little bit more, you know, cash saved up when you're traveling, like if you come to China, for example, there's the Canton Fair, it's twice a year. Um, I think it's it's once in, in April and then another one in uh, September, October. So if you come to the Canton Fair, you're just going to walk around. It's a huge fair. There are thousands of thousands of different products. And you're most likely going to find a lot of products that are not in North America or in in the in Europe or anything like that. So you can come to the Canton Fair and you can like like Mike mentioned there's online resources that you can find different products. So for example, um Ryan, so let's say I go to the Canton Fair, right? I'm walking around and then I come across uh LED name tags. What's what's the next step? I see these LED name tags. Actually, I I saw LED LED name tags about a year ago. And I knew I hadn't seen that in Canada before. And I'm like, okay, that could be an interesting prospect to sell to restaurants and, you know, various uh, companies because, you know, instead of them printing out new labels, they could just literally um, man, uh, program a new name into the t name tag. So what's the next step after that? Probably the best thing is to have multiple ideas um, because when you're, when you're testing out business ideas, you're, you don't want to... Uh, rely on one singular idea too much because otherwise you'll you'll get overly invested in that idea and you'll start looking for proof that people want to buy it when it might not exist so yeah uh maybe we'll run through uh, another product as well okay so let's so there's led name tags and then maybe you could find um eco-friendly faucets and you want to sell these to to hotels so first thing you gotta do if you want to start selling your product you have to figure out who you're going to sell it to and you have to start brainstorming a list of possible markets that could be your target customer. So, for example, these, uh, these eco-friendly faucets, 
you may be able to sell them to hotels, but there may be some some store similar to Bed Bath & Beyond that might have some use for these. Or there may be uh, some sort of uh, contracting company that might want to install these in some new buildings that are going up. So you're going to want to figure out figure out your niche if it's hotels, and then figure out which person inside that niche you could contact. So just saying hotel a hotel is your customer, that's not that's not who you'd be selling to. You'd be probably selling to the purchasing manager of a hotel. Uh, on the other side with LED name tags, you would brainstorm a, a couple of possible niches again, uh, try and get it as many different niches as possible because that will really help you get a, a good idea of which niches are more accepting of your product. So LED name tags, those could go to event management companies or uh, maybe companies that host recurring events, maybe if they're network marketing companies or something along those lines and they want something to stand out, that's a possible customer niche. So you would, you would figure out, all right, if event management companies are my niche, who within an event management company would I speak to and try and pitch this product to? And that's where you try and find some sort of product manager or some sort of uh, aesthetic coordinator or something like that. So you'd gather together a list of all the possible uh, all the possible niches that you could sell your product to, and that would be how you would start validating this product. How would I go about uh, getting that list? All right, so that's actually, that's something that's a really simple process that not many people know how to do. There's the slow way where if you want to try and find a bunch of hotel managers, for example, you could uh, just go through LinkedIn and go through hotel-specific websites and just try to get together a list yourself. Or you can get hundreds of leads in your market in under like three days with only only spending an hour worth of work and it will only cost you maybe around $50 or so. And the way to do that is actually hiring a virtual assistant to scrape together a leads list for you. So that's a very simple process where you just go onto a site like upwork.com and put up a job posting. Try and keep it as simple as possible, but uh, basically just saying your job posting, looking for web scraper with very simple instructions and say like, hey, I'm looking for someone to scrape together a leads list of, I want a hundred different purchasing managers of hotels within North America. I want a hundred different uh, events managers within a certain city or geographic area, or maybe even within all of North America. And you would just list out the number of leads and the most precise position you can figure out for the that sort of person yeah and i'd suggest you yeah i was just going to chime in because i remember we did that before and you just basically want to use a a simple spreadsheet maybe google sheets and just have them list them list them out you know um ryan what criteria so you want to have the 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 position you want to have the name what what other details do you want to have in the spreadsheet you're going to need your virtual assistant to find the phone number of these people too And you're going to want to put the caveat in the job description saying, if you don't find the personal email, not like info at Hilton.com, but rather like john.smith at Hilton.com, you want like the personal email of each of these managers, as well as a phone number to contact them. Uh, That's going to give you the greatest chance to, to contact them and test out your idea. So just be as specific as possible with, Uh, as you can with VAs. And I actually, I have a a blog post up on my site. It's uh, grownempire.com slash list. And it's going to actually lay out uh, both a a template you can use to build this as well as some more instructions on hiring VAs. But it's really not that difficult to uh, get a VA to scrape together a leads list for you. So what's the next step after you have the list? You'll post up your you're posting on Upwork, you'll set like a fixed price for $50 and a couple, couple VAs will bid on it. Uh, then with Upwork, you can actually see which ones are highly ranked or which ones 
which ones are more respectable VAs, and you can select that one to scrape together in your list. After a couple of days, they'll Ryan, come back do you to notice, you. Sorry, Ryan, do you notice that since you're doing this more and more and you're giving multiple people on Upwork contracts that you tend to go with the same person, or every time you get a job, do you, do you put it up for bid and let someone come around? I mean, at this point, do you have a, a small team of people that you work with on Upwork? Yes, I actually have a very specific freelancer that I use. If you, uh, on that uh, link, his name is uh, Raju, uh, I'm going to terribly mispronounce his name. Uh, his first name is Raju. He's with this company called InfoRich. And he's the guy I go to to create leads lists for me. He always gives me very quality work. And if there's ever a niche that uh, contacts information are really hard to find, then he's going to tell me as opposed to just giving me a really crappy list. So, yeah, if you want to use that freelancer, I highly recommend. Yeah, Upwork is a fantastic tool. Some people might know it. What what was the prior name before Upwork? Oh, man, I'm blanking. I was still calling it that name until three months ago. (laughs) Yeah, it was actually, it's a combination of two. It actually used to be Odesk and Elance, and they actually combined together. that's right. Yeah, we talked we talked about that before in one of the podcasts uh, using virtual assistants for even communicating with factories, you know, so that you can su- find somebody who's in the same time zone as the factories and then they can help you yeah, with moving that communication along much quicker. Yeah, I actually uh, another use for virtual assistants um when I started my window cleaning business, so I used to work for a franchise business and I ended up starting my own business. Uh, doing appointment setting calls was just a, a huge pain in the ass for me. And I actually hired a virtual assistant to just call through my customers and confirm the appointments to make sure that uh, they weren't surprised to have window cleaners show up their house. And that just took a huge load off my back. And they only you only pay them around $5 an hour for maybe one or two hours worth of work a day. And it just takes so much, so much pressure off you that... We we touched on it before, but I'm assuming now that you have a list, you know, you get this solid list of, of potential leads. Most people think, okay, the next stage now is, is to call them, right? Would it be more beneficial to call first? Do you want to send an email? What are we doing? What you're actually going to do is send what I call a preheater email. Basically, you're going to send them an email that's not, not trying to sell to them, but trying to pique their interest on, uh, on the type of product that you want to sell. Say, for example, you're looking to sell, sell the eco-friendly faucets. You're going to, after you get your list, you're going to send out a mass email. You can do this through MailChimp. Uh, MailChimp does have some anti-spam things worked into it where basically they don't want you spamming a bunch of people who haven't subscribed to your list. But uh, you're, not, you're not really continuously spamming these people. You're just sending them one email and you're not really directly trying to sell to them. So so MailChimp won't block your emails and you should be fine. Just don't be scared off because of their anti-spam rules. All the other mass email providers say that too. I'm sure somewhere in Google, Gmail's terms of service, they're going to say like, hey, you can't, you can't spam people. But you're not spamming them. You're just asking them a simple question. Well, you're just going to send them a simple email saying like, hey, my name's Ryan. I'm considering bringing a product to North America for the hotel industry. I'm just doing some research into the market to see if uh, it's something you would consider bringing into your hotel. Do you mind if I run it by you? You can set up merge tags so you can basically mass email your entire list and input their name and some identifying information into this email. But you're basically just you're sending them an email just to pique their interest and get them to reply to you and get them to be like, yeah, I I would be interested in seeing some new products I could introduce into my hotel. Are there any particular things, particular uh, subject lines that you found work the best in terms of getting people to open the email? It's going to sound a little weird, but you want to keep them very unspecific and a little bit weird. You want to really encourage people to actually open the email. So, uh, I would recommend one of the subject lines that they actually teach in the foundation is called the strange question email, where basically your subject line is just strange question. That's it. <laughs> uh, another one could be, what do you think? Question mark. 
Another one could be a quick question. I would recommend keeping your subject lines vague so you don't come off as like salesy. And you have to keep in mind that when you send these preheater emails to keep them really short, you can actually write your email and actually specifically mention the product you're considering pitching. Like, hey, I, I have an idea for these LED name tags I think would really enhance the aesthetics of your next events. Uh, I just want to run the idea by you and see if it's something that interests you. Uh, if that's the content of your email, like that's totally fine. Just don't spend like paragraphs, spend a paragraph or two trying to describe your idea. Just like three sentences. Keep it super short uh, if you want to try and get a reply from these people. Normally people aren't going to respond if it's a long email. What kind of replies do you get from something like that? Usually the replies... Replies are like, uh, yeah, you know, sounds interesting. Can you send me some pictures? Or uh, if you asked if you could have a short call with them to run it by them, some people will say, yeah, sure. Uh, sure, I, I have some time later today. Or, yeah, I might be interested. The thing is, you're not going to get a ton of responses from these cold emails. It may even be around like 10 to 5%. But these emails are your in. So it doesn't matter whether or not people respond to your email. It matters that you sent the email because in the next step, when you actually start calling these people and uh, the secretary picks up the phone and asks why you're calling, you're going to say, oh, I'm just following up on an email I sent John. The point of the email isn't necessarily to get their response. It's to hopefully get them to open it and have an idea of what you'll be calling about. But it's also you're in to get into a conversation with them. So that's kind of the, the tactic that we're pulling with the preheater email. It's to warm up your lead, so to speak. If you send out if you send out the campaign, how long after sending out the emails are you are you how long do you wait before you call? Well if you're ballsy enough, you can call immediately after you send the email. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's no way they had a chance to see the email. You can call right away. I personally wouldn't recommend that. I'd recommend maybe waiting a couple days, maybe two or three days before you start calling just to give people a chance to respond to you. Because the people who respond to you and they respond favorably, those are the people who are going to be easier to call and they could be some of the people that you call first because they're people who are much more receptive to talk to you. So if you're just starting to do this process, then you're going to want to wait maybe two or three days until you get a couple responses and then when you, uh, in the next step after you create your call script, you can start reaching out to those people first before you start reaching out to the people who are cold. Is that a part of your strategy when calling people is to first call the people who might be more receptive? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not. Why, why is that? Do you think because it kind of build mo builds momentum moving forward? Whereas if you're calling the least receptive people first, and you're getting <laughs> negative responses, you wouldn't want to keep calling. When I, when I was a kid, I would eat like the vegetables first and leave like you know the delicious food for later, right? Uh, yeah. also, I, I like that strategy as well. Yeah. yeah. No, actually, that's, that's a really good point. Like The reason I, I recommend people to do that is uh, I was coaching a lot of people on this process, uh, a lot of people in this foundation program and then beyond this on reaching out to their market. And most people think that when they call up someone on the phone, they're just going to be really pissed off and angry. They're, they're going to be like yelling at the, them on the phone just for asking them a simple question or pitching a possible product to them. So if you call the people who are the most receptive first, then it's going to start to build up these positive reference experiences. You're going to start to, your mind's going to start to say like, oh, okay, these, these people aren't uh, angry people who hate the world. They're actually okay with talking to me and they're, they're happy to listen to this product idea I have. So if you're a little bit uh, scared to start calling into your leads list, then just reach out to the low-hanging fruit first so you can start to build up a little bit of confidence. All right, uh, so I have a, a question, I guess, leading yeah. up because we're now, we're, I guess, we're moving into the calling process. So two things in the emails and then also in the calling, what are, what are common mistakes you think people make like in terms of how they word the emails? And then of course, when they make a phone call, what are the common mistakes that most people make in, in, at this stage? For the emails, usually just people trying to put too much information in the email or making the email way too generic. 
It takes a little fancy wordplay, but you can word an email so it, it sounds a little bit more specific to a person as opposed to making it sound like a mass emailed email. Uh, you can do this with merge tags so you can send like a semi-personalized email to everyone. Like you could say like, yeah, so hey, just to, John. Just to ex- I- just to, sorry, just to explain that. Uh, so like a merge tag in MailChimp is basically, it's a, it's a selection that you can you can choose and it inserts the name from your list into the email. So as opposed to just saying, hey, it will say, hey, like Ryan said, hey, John, and it's a little bit more specific, right? And you can actually, basically when you upload a list to MailChimp, you can also put other information into that contact's information. So for example, you could have their, their name, the hotel, for example, that they work at, or their company's name that they work at, the city that they live in, all of that. And you could work that information into an email if you wanted to with these merge tags. You'd be like, hey, hey, Judy, I'm just reaching out to all of the events managers in Toronto. Uh, I saw that you work for Eventbrite, and I, I have this idea for these cool LED name tags that I want to run by you. So you can see how that email sounds a lot more personalized, but it's using that it's using these merge tags to to make it sound more personalized. You don't have to type out an individual email for each person. You just have to be a little smart for wording it. And as long as you keep the email really short, then that's going to give you the greatest chance of success. Sending people a couple paragraphs telling your life story and talking about how amazing this product is is going to give you like zero responses. So keep it short and try and uh, catch their attention. And then... and. So the mistakes when yeah. people call. Oh, those are uh, those are numerous. Most people are terrified to start calling. Some of the main problems that they have are related to actual voice tonality, where they'll start to develop some sort of weird voice when they start calling these people. Like some people talk too fast, for example. They're worried that these potential customers don't want to listen to them, so they try and just motor through their what they want to say without even letting their prospect get a word in edgewise. And some people, some people turn into the Terminator where they lose all emotion in their voice and they just sound like a total robot (laughs) when they're calling these potential customers. What you're going to really need to do to see your weak areas is actually record all the calls that you do and go through those call recordings afterwards. You're not going to get better until you actually listen to yourself on the phone and it's going to be pretty cringeworthy. Uh, even when I listened to some of my call recordings when I was starting out this process, I realized that I, I had a couple issues. Like sometimes I'd cut customers off. Uh, sometimes I'd maybe I'd make some awkward jokes. You're going to make a lot of awkward jokes. I'm just going to warn all of your listeners out there. <laughs> it's going to happen. There's going to be some awkward silences. That's how I feel when but, I'm editing yeah, the believe. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You guys don't hear the uh, unfinished products. Uh, Rico, he's just terrible conversationalist. Horrible, horrible. But uh, yeah, you managed to edit it together pretty nicely, so that's all that counts, right? All right. So, what's a what's a basic call script? When you're going to be pitching these products, there's basically two sections. Uh, there's going to be your initial pitching call, and then there's going to be the call where you actually try and get some information from the prospect. So for the pitching call, it's going to be a very easy template. Uh, You're just going to call them up and be like, hey, uh, my name is Ryan. I'm just calling to follow up on an email that I sent you. I'm doing some research into the hotel industry to see uh, with these eco-friendly faucets to see if it's something that you guys could actually use. Uh, I was just seeing if I could run the idea by you. And some people will say, like, uh, yes. Some people will say no. Uh, The people who say no, not much you can do about that. But I can guarantee you that when you start calling calling through your list and you have over 100 leads, you're going to get into a really good conversation with someone at least once or twice for every, every 10 calls that you do. So some people will tell you no right off the bat, but some people will say like, oh, that sounds interesting. Let me know a little bit more about it. Then you just explain some of the details of your product. Try and keep it short and say, 
if it's uh, the eco-friendly faucet, for example, just be like, yeah, it's a environmentally friendly faucet could help lower both your hotel's water bill and uh, help you build yourself as an environmentally friendly brand. Does it sound like something that might be useful to you and possibly your hotel? And some of them will say like, yes. Some people may say like, oh, I need to see what it looks like. And you'll say, great. Uh, how about I email you a brochure to show you what it looks like and show you some of the specs and then follow up with you in a couple of days to see what you think. Ryan, I'm assuming some people who are listening and will be thinking, hey, but if I have some money, maybe I could just buy samples and then send them to the hotels. Uh, would you would you advise against that or would you advise for it? I'd actually, I definitely advise against it when you're just in this initial phase because what you're doing is just, you're testing out if people even have any interest in this product. So uh, you're going to be sending them like a brochure, uh, email brochure, just showing them some pictures of the product. And then if you get people who respond to that extremely positively, then you can look into possibly sending them samples. But I would recommend when you're testing an idea, just to keep costs as low as possible. Just send them like the bare minimum that you can. Just send them some pictures, some specs, and uh, just a simple little page on what the product is. It's interesting so, because uh, I think it's interesting because I guess you know, like Mike, Mike, we talk about that is like when you're doing a, a crowdfunding campaign, samples are super important. But I guess at that stage, you're hundred percent going all to in. do. Yeah, you're all in. You're a hundred percent going to do a crowdfunding campaign. But if you're just like you have this idea, you're not even at that stage yet. You don't want to be buying samples and spending that kind of money. Exactly. Like the the startup idea action plan process is. It's to help you just really quickly test a bunch of business ideas and see which one people respond most positively to. And then you can decide whether you want to move forward with that product or not. So this would be before you even buy samples. This could be just after you found this product on Alibaba. You got a, a spec sheet of the product and a few pictures and you're like, hmm, I think this would be cool. I'm going to reach out to a couple people in the industry and see if they think it would be cool as well and if they would pay money for it. So this is like the first thing that you do before you really start to invest money in uh, getting a product sourced. Otherwise, you may find out that nobody really wants to buy your product, and then you're out a couple thousand dollars. One of uh, one of our friends, actually, uh, Rico, they invested a lot of money in a, in a sort of similar business model, and they ended up getting lucky and finding a product that really fit the market, but if people hadn't wanted to buy their product, they would have been out like thousands and thousands of dollars. So, Yeah, and interesting, our friend that you're talking about, um, they found their product in Starbucks in China, you know. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, well, what was it, if you know, man? Uh, I, I probably shouldn't say. <laughs> Tough to no, I'm joking. No, I think we can talk because it was a successful product, so it's not like it's a bad thing. Um, they they found wet umbrella bag dispensers. Their company is Dropstopper.ca, and they they're doing B two B sales. So they were in Starbucks in in Shanghai, and they walk in and it's raining, and they find these a wet umbrella bag dispenser. Kind of looks like a, a, a kind of a huge trash can, but more fancy. And then you just stick your umbrella in and it wraps like a, a seal around it so you don't drip your umbrella. Oh, so it's like an automized bag dispenser. Exactly, exactly. And you, okay. there's some more basic versions, but the one that they had was kind of like very nice metal, like, you know, chrome finish, that kind of stuff. And then they just brought it over to Canada and they started um, selling to hotels and it, it worked out for them. So you reached out to some people, you, you get some people interested, you're sending brochures. Well, what's the next stage? Yeah. So after you sent out a couple people brochures, you've sent them a brochure and you've also, oh, you've asked them if it's okay to email them a brochure. And then you also asked if it was all right to follow up with them in a few days. So now, so before you do these calls, you're going to, of course, prepare your uh, script. But what you really just want to do is prepare a couple questions that you want to ask these people to find out what they think of your product. Uh, for example, you in the in the calls uh, in these follow up calls you're going to be doing. These people are going to be warm to you, so you won't really need to worry about getting past secretaries or anything. But you're going to want to know all the questions you could ask them, 
and all the outcomes you could possibly get. For example, when you call them back, you need to answer the most important question, like, do you think this item would be useful to you guys? Maybe they'll say yes, maybe they'll say no. And then you'll ask, do you think uh, your hotel chain would be interested in buying these products? You're going to want to collect information on the negative answers just as much as the positive answers. If people will get your brochure, look at your product, and then say, no, I don't think this would be useful to me, you want to try and find out why. Why wouldn't they want to buy this product? Uh, maybe only certain specific hotels have a reason for it, or maybe it's a reason that's shared by every, every niche that you're contacting. And you want to prepare as many like detailed questions about uh, valuable questions as you can to try and get this information out of these prospects, asking them like what sort of price they would consider paying for the, the unit. After you have your questions, uh, it's in my book in the section, the hierarchy, I have a more detailed rundown of the questions, but if you're just testing out an idea to source in China, then you just need to know, do they find this product useful? Uh, are they interested in actually buying it and what sort of price they would pay for it? For the, for the price, do you recommend giving them like, let's say, Price A, B, C, or do you want to just keep the question vague? I think when you're asking about pricing, people are usually a little bit more lost with that question. So giving them price A, B, or C is probably uh, a good option. Maybe asking between a really low price or really high price. You can even just ask these people if there's a certain price that you think you could possibly sell these for. Just say like, hey, I'm considering selling these for... $25 a unit. Uh, does that sound like a price you'd be willing to pay for it? And then you'll get feedback, yes or no. So you're going to have a lot of leads that you can test this out on. So don't be afraid of burning through a couple of leads or asking some questions that maybe give a little bit more information away about your product than you really want to. Like you want to charge as much as you possibly can for your product, of course, uh, the price that people would still pay for it. So, uh, don't be afraid to ask them specific questions about how, uh, if they think the price you want to charge is reasonable for it. And after that, what a lot of people really miss out on when they're doing these calls is asking for referrals. So after you've asked a couple questions and found, got some feedback on your product idea, you definitely want to ask the people who are receptive if they know anyone else in their industry that you could reach out to to also get some feedback on the product. So if there's hotel managers, be like, hey, do you know any other hotel managers in other hotels I could reach out to and have this sort of same conversation with? So that's going to open up the door to you with a couple other warm leads that you can call. So instead of needing to cold call through your list, you have a couple warm people you can contact. And that's going to really help you build up your list of potential interested customers. And next thing, which is also one of the most important things to do when you're doing these follow-up calls is to ask the people who are interested if they would be all right getting onto an email list. If they would all right, be all right if you would add them onto an email list so you could send them updates on this product as you, as you go forward with it. Even if you don't end up going forward with a particular product, just start building up your email list as soon as you can. So if you don't end up launching it, you can just send all these people an email and say like, oh, hey, I decided not to go forward with this product. There wasn't enough demand. But if you do start to find people are very receptive to your product, you're going to have a list of potential customers right off the bat before you've even started sourcing this product. So that's the most valuable thing you can get out of these calls is find interested people who would be willing for you to update them as you go forward. With the so Ryan, uh, one issue I had when I was doing a lot of phone sales in the past was getting past secretaries and then handling objections. I kind of figured it out, but initially was, uh, was something that I had problems with as well. And I'm sure a lot of people would have issues with how do you go about getting past the, the, the gatekeeper, so to speak? I'm going to sound like a bit of an asshole, giving you this advice, but it's what you have to do. <laughs> so with gatekeepers, the most effective way I have found to get by them is actually to sound a little bit pissed off. And this is 
this is kind of unpopular advice. When I was teaching some, coaching some of my clients on this, they would be like, what? You want to sound angry to the secretary? <laughs> that'll, that'll just get her to <laughs> hang up the phone. But I'm like, no, no, no. You're not, you're not trying to sound really angry. You're more just kind of sounding firm and forward and sounding like, like this is, you're supposed to be getting through to this person. This is ridiculous. <laughs> and yeah, like what? You want to try and convey like, why are you even holding you, me up? You should be sending me right through the job. Say, Do you know who I am? Talk to him right now. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't quite gone to that level of ballsiness, but maybe after the yeah, after this just, book, just being like, this book. <laughs> I'll, there's actually there's a chapter in the book called "Scaring Secretaries." <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, there was. <laughs> I go into I go into a lot of detail about this, but yeah, you're just. You got to get into your mind like, all right, my mission is to get past the secretary and they're inconveniencing me by holding me up. So <laughs> do you ever, do, do you ever, they, act, uh, do you ever act completely baffled that they're picking up the phone? Like you should have had the boss's direct line, but <laughs> they're, they're picking up. I thought I was getting directly to Mr. Porter. <laughs> you, know <what> I mean? <laughs> you just, you just I, jump into like a conversation. So John, when are we meeting for dinner? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. You act like you're supposed to get through the boss man directly. Yeah, no, that's an advanced technique. Maybe I need to, maybe I need to do a rewrite my book and have that. <laughs> there's actually, there's this guy, Chet Holmes. Uh, he's like a master phone salesman. And he actually has this YouTube video somewhere out there. I, I forget exactly uh, uh, what it's called. But basically, his process for getting past secretaries is to is to basically go through this. Like, I'll, I'll pretend to be Chet Holmes. Like, and... Uh, I'll I'll do the secretary's response to. I'll call them. Secretary will pick up. Like, hello, uh, this is Jenny from uh, real estate company speaking. Yes, can I speak to John? And then you say it kind of angry. Jenny's a little bit scared. She's like, oh, uh, who's this calling? Oh, this is Chet Holmes calling. And now Jenny, she's a little bit worried. I mean, she's holding up Chet Holmes. She <laughs> she doesn't know who Chet Holmes is, but he sounds like sounds like he really needs to talk to. Uh, talk to the manager and she's like, Oh, well, what is this call regarding? Oh, I'm following up on an email. I sent him. If you respond like that to the secretaries, most of the time they're just going to put you through. There's going to be a percentage of course, where they're like, they're going to pretty much force you to tell you, tell them why you're calling. And only then will they tell you like, Oh, sorry. I, uh, he's busy right now. I can't Those talk. are the right or die secretaries, but, man. Right or day. <laughs> yeah, they <laughs> they just hold out to the very end. <laughs> they just don't care. I don't right. care who Chet Holmes is. <laughs> Chet who? <laughs> yeah. Listen, Mofo, you're you're gonna tell me why you're calling or you ain't getting nowhere. <laughs> but you know, you're you're doing a bit of a gamble by doing this. So just you know, gamble, see if you can get through. Some secretaries most secretaries will let you through. Some secretaries will just stonewall you. So always give it a try to uh, scare the secretary a little bit. Yeah. Some people, uh, on the other side, some people actually try and be too nice to the secretaries and you know, start a bit of a conversation with them. And I can tell you 99.9% .9 of the time, the secretary is not going to let you through. Their, their job is to not let salespeople get through to the manager. And by talking to the salesperson, I mean, in talking to uh, to the secretary and telling them about this product you're considering pitching, you are dropped into that salesperson bin, and they're not going to let you through. I don't so know, man. My voice, mind. my voice is pretty sultry. <laughs> I, I've heard it's a little sexy and sultry. It's it's hypnotic, <laughs> okay, man. You get those lady secretaries, it's over. I'm telling you, man, it work for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I should, um, uh, what about handling objections? Yeah, there, there's going to be. There's going to be a couple objections that you face. Um, some of the most common objections are like uh, when you go through the manager, like, "Hey, uh, I don't, I don't have time for this right now." Just say like, "Oh, uh, yeah, it's it's alright. We don't have much time. This will only take like one minute. Whenever you have to leave or get off the call, that's totally fine with you." You can say something along those lines to possibly prompt them to say something like, "Oh, okay. If it'll be short, yeah, I can speak to you for a minute." Um, some of them will be a little put off because this is 
This is an odd sort of market validation technique. Uh, almost nobody does this. Actually calling and reaching out to the market that they want to sell to. Ridiculous, isn't it? But uh, a lot of people can be a little bit put off and they'll say like, oh, this is, this is a little bit of a strange approach. Be like, yeah, yeah, I know it's a little bit strange. I just wanted to reach out to my market before I started really investing uh, time and money into this product to find out if it's something that they can actually really use. It's strange, but it's smart though, you know, because uh, most people spend the money first and then they try and uh, market their product and, and stuff like that. But you want to get validation really quickly, you know. Uh, after I learned this process, I, I was shocked that I wasn't taught this in any of the other entrepreneurship books that I, I read or uh, any of the other um, yeah, any of the other avenues of education I pursued. Or in college. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> oh, God. University did not teach me this. They taught me how to be a good employee. They didn't teach me how to be uh, someone who makes things happen in the business world. Okay, so after you've you've done this whole process, the next step would be what organizing the feedback that you have, and then moving on to to actually, if you if you have interest, then actually sourcing the product, right? Yeah. So as you go through this process, uh, like from the response you get from your preheater emails as well as the calls you make, you're going to start to get a really good idea of how your target market feels about this sort of product. Uh, you're going to want to record each each of the calls that actually goes somewhere and you get to talk to someone and get some feedback from them. You're going to want to record that information. Maybe it's just in a big Excel spreadsheet, but you want to try and record how many people responded positively to this product, uh, what people said that they would be interested in buying it. Get all of that information down and then you can make a judgment call on whether this is uh, the sort of product you want to move forward with. So, for example, we have the LED name tags, and then we have the eco-friendly faucets. What if what is a positive response? How would I judge a positive response to, let's say, the LED name name tags? And how would I judge a like medium to negative response with the faucets? Well, I'll I'll give an example. I was doing some consulting for a business, and they were looking into a, po- a couple possible products that they wanted to sell. Uh, one of these one of these were uh, these table hooks. Uh, they're basically like these folding purse hooks. So they wanted to reach out to boutiques and find out if uh, some fashion boutiques would be interested in buying these. But after calling and emailing a, a couple fashion boutiques and uh, asking them about the product and sending them product pictures and specs, they found that most of these places would would not want to pay very much money for these. They don't want to be willing to pay maybe $1 to $2 a unit when uh, the company was planning to sell them for maybe five dollars a unit and they also found that it was very hard to find people who were interested in the product so it's tough to give you an exact number of people who are interested but if a a majority of the people that you actually get to talk to and pitch your product to say that it's something that they definitely would not buy then you're not going to really get anywhere with it if on the other hand you can compile a list of maybe 20 to 30 people who say that they would be interested in buying a product then you're somewhere. In the grand scheme of selling a product, it doesn't sound like very much, but getting your first 20 customers that you pretty much pulled out of thin air is huge to people who are trying to get traction on their products. Uh, Once you have a list of possible people who are interested, then you can follow up and ask them questions about features they want for a product or maybe alternate products they might want in the same industry. So yeah, try to aim for at least 20 people who are interested before you move forward with a product. Yeah, and, and on the sourcing side, another thing that can help you with making a decision is, like Ryan mentioned, uh, the company wanted to sell the product for $5, and then people are saying they, they would buy them for one or two. If you look at just light research into how much it would cost you, what the per unit cost would be for that product, you can kind of judge if, if it's so, if the per unit cost isn't, isn't, isn't giving you enough margin to make a profit based on what people want to pay then that's probably not something that you want to go down, right? Yeah, it's tough to figure out exactly uh, what sort of feedback is going to make you give you the judgment call on a product. But if you're having a ton of issues just selling this product to uh, selling these products to people who are actually okay with talking to you on the phone, then you have no hope of actually really selling it in the market. 
you may get some biased feedback where people don't want to hurt your feelings and they say like, yes, I buy that product, but then they end up not buying that. That's just part of the game. But you're getting a lot better feedback than someone who goes in blindly without even talking to their market and just like spends money getting a product sourced and uh, launches it without even finding out if people want to buy it. What is the most positive response you've had using this process? I was calling some people in the hospitality industry and I was basically working consulting for a company. They had a couple different product ideas that they wanted to launch and uh, and one of them one of these products was actually an extension of the one of the current products that they were selling. 30% to maybe 40% of the people we talked to said that they were really interested in a certain product extension. They were like, yeah, like I definitely buy that. I, I really need that. Uh, can you can you send it to me? So yeah, for, uh, for the examples that we're using, basically if you have a couple people who are interested in buying this product before you even have it ready, that's a huge indicator. If people are asking, if people are saying like, yeah, I, I want to buy this. Uh, like, can I pay you right now for it? Then you're definitely on to a winner. Ryan. So this is the part of the podcast where I like to ask a little bit of some personal questions. All right. Oh, all right. Let's get to it. All right. So first of all, how, how is the book doing? Uh, the book is actually doing fantastic. Uh, basically, when I created this book, I set out with a mission for myself where I'm like, this is my first book. I have almost no audience. I'm going to try and stack all the cards in my favor to try and ensure that this product ends up a bestseller, even though I would like 99% of books that are launched on Kindle just fail miserably. So I did a ton of research on keywords and categories and launch processes, as well as got a lot of help from uh, my good friend, uh, Noam Lightstone, who I think you also interviewed on your podcast. And I put together a whole launch plan for my book. So basically it's, it's at the top of the Amazon rankings for two separate categories. And, uh, in all of the business books on Amazon, it's currently in the top 20, uh, sometimes shooting up to the top 10. So I'm beating out people who have much more reviews, much better, much uh, larger audiences than me on this like tiny book. So yeah, if you really do your keyword research, you can uh, actually beat out some big players. So the book is doing fantastic right now. It's uh, the short way to say that. So in the process of launching the book, you, it's probably hard work. What, what's kept you, what's kept you motiva- motivated and what's the smallest thing you've done that's brought you the biggest results? Probably what's kept me motivated was I, I screwed up. When I first started creating this book, it was before I knew anything about the Kindle launch process or how to really get this, uh, how to really pitch my book to people. I actually didn't really have a well-formed idea of what the book's content was going to be about. So I ended up creating about 70% of a book that was never going to sell. And I, I wrote up this book and I'd spent months and months working on it. And as I was working on writing the book, I started to realize that I should have done market research first and I should have uh, you know, figured out my sales letter for the book first and all of these other things. So I had just invested all this time and energy into a book that uh, had a good likelihood of just failing in the market. So I was like, no, I'm going to make this work. I knew the, the content was really good. It's just an issue of pitching it to the right people in the right way and uh, giving it the best chance of surviving in the market. I really dove into launching the process of launching a Kindle ebook and put together put together a really solid launch strategy, added a ton of extra content into my book that I knew would really help out people and get them interested in getting their businesses started. And that's what kept me motivated. Just being like, I don't want to just waste all, use all this time, not waste, like spend all this time writing a book just to uh, leave it uh, collecting dust in some file on an old computer. I want to get this product in front of a lot of people because I know it's something that could really help out a lot of entrepreneurs and really would have helped out me if I had found this sort of content sooner. On the other side of things, the smallest thing I did with the biggest result was actually just posting up on my Facebook 
reaching out to people and saying, hey, all my Facebook friends, I wrote this book and I would just, uh, I just wanted to see if people were interested in reading it. I'm looking to collect pre-readers. The book is about uh, launching a business idea and getting your first customers uh, when, uh, before you spend any money or any time on the business idea. And I was surprised, but a lot of people were really interested. And I ended up basically pulling a, a email list completely out of the air. I, I managed to get 40 pre-readers just from pretty much one Facebook post. And then I decided to do it again, actually. And I posted it up in the foundation group. And I managed to get another 40 pre-readers. And these were people who were going to help me with getting reviews on my book and help me with promoting the book during the launch schedule. So it was huge. Yeah. Personal network tends tends to be huge when you're in the early steps of developing your business. Hey, hey, Ryan, um, this is a question that we ask to most people that come onto the podcast and we interview. But if the listeners were to want to get a better idea of you, what you're about in your business, uh, what three books or possibly articles could you recommend to them? Yeah. Oh, that's a, that's a doozy of a question. Um, <laughs> let's see for books. It's pretty, it's a pretty standard book. Uh, the four hour work week. Uh, I'm pretty sure most of your audience has Tim probably Ferriss. read that. Tim, Tim Ferriss, four hour work week. One of my favorite books. Yeah, he, he also has a good podcast, by the way, if, if, if people aren't on that yet. Oh, if they aren't on that, they need to get on that podcast. He He's a fantastic interviewer. Actually, I stole the question that I asked Ryan earlier about the smallest thing that brought him the biggest results is the 80-20 Pareto principle. <laughs> <laughs> I stole it from the Tim. Oh, man, I thought that was yours. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm uh, not that brilliant, you, okay? Touch is slipping, you go. Touch is slipping. <laughs> What did they say? What's yeah. it, what is it like? Uh, was it clever people create genius of steel? <laughs> I'll take it. If that's not a saying, then you uh, maybe you're the, the, just a clever person. <laughs> All right. So you got the yeah. four-hour work uh, week. Uh, what else would you recommend people check out? Another thing people I recommend people check out is this blog. Um, it's called Bold and Determined. It's the kind of blog where you can read a couple posts in that and it will just get you pumped up to work. You're not going to want to go and spend time on time-wasting websites. A lot of uh, Victor Pride's articles has helped me push forward with my own products and my own business ideas. So I highly recommend it to, uh, to anyone who's listening. Another book that uh, can give people an idea of my thinking when developing this process is the Lean Startup. I read this book it was a couple of years ago, but the main point in it is uh, validating your market before launching a product as opposed to launching a product and just praying that it's going to sell. So I definitely recommend it to all first-time entrepreneurs so they can get, get into their minds that they need to find the proof that their product is going to sell before they really start investing lots of time and money into their product. Otherwise... Bad things are going to happen most of the time. All right, Ryan, man, uh, it's been a fantastic podcast. I am sure a lot of people took a lot of value from it. Um, where could people find you if they wanted to reach out to you? Uh, my blog is growandempire.com. It's a blog based on self-development and building up your own online empire. And you can look forward to a very detailed post on my launch process for my book so you guys can steal that and launch your own ebooks that actually sell a ton of copies but uh, you can look forward to that probably in the next month or so yeah check me out on growingempire.com and my book is startup idea action plan on amazon right now so check that out all right mike did you have any closing thoughts questions uh, yeah with just ryan thank you i uh, really appreciate it it was a great listen um and for for the listeners out there i just want to say you know the initial support we've received for the podcast has been really exciting and um you know let us know what you want to hear let us know if you have any questions you know me and rico will be doing some question and answer podcast coming up in the future and if there's you know people you want us to get on the podcast or topics that you want to hear about please send those inquiries in because we're really interested to see what you guys uh, are, are, are looking for as usual 
all the show notes, all the resources we've talked about on this podcast and in all our other podcasts can be found on the website, sourcefindasia.com slash made in China. This would be slash episode or EP8. Um, as well, if you want to find us, you can email us at info at sourcefindasia.com. Facebook is sourcefindasia. Twitter at sourcefindasia. Instagram at sourcefindasia. You guessed it. All right. See you guys. Sorry, Jan.